Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless our reading and sharing from the scripture. Such an important story um, as we see tonight from John chapter 2. We ask your blessings on it. Help us to receive and our faith to grow in the transformational power of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm hearing a little uh, feedback here, a little low feedback. Y'all help me. I'm, I'm booming here in my, in my ears. Thanks, guys. Um, we are in the middle of a series called The Amazing Miracles of Jesus, and we have over the past several weeks been exploring miracles of Jesus that send a very clear faith-building message to us as God's people and those that are seeking truth. The first week, we looked at the miracle of the catch of fish. As Jesus proved to Peter, he had the power to provide. Do you remember that? The great miracle of the catch of fish. The second week of our series, we looked at the power to deliver. As Jesus cast out the legion of demons out of the gathering demoniac. Last week, we looked at Jesus' power to heal as we saw the woman with the issue of blood, the bleeding problem. He supernaturally touched her, transformed her life through physical healing. And uh, what a wonderful uh, testimony to his power to heal that was. By the way, uh, just a quick testimony. I've had three at the end of the service and we, before, as we were praying for people and physical healing, there were a number of words of knowledge that we shared. I've had three confirmed healings reported to me since last Saturday night. Uh, and he does have the power to heal, and we believe he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen? And so uh, tonight what we want to do is to uh, look clearly at what, the, um, at what the, the Scripture tells us that Jesus has what we're simply calling the power to transform. The power to transform. And um, I'm going to read to you the text, and then we're going to look at uh, a video version of this story. So if you'd like to read along with me, turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, just 11 short verses, but a remarkable story, I think you will all agree. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? <laughs> Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, 
Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best wine until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Would you please watch the video version of this miracle. Amen. Well, there's a lot that we could say about this incredible miracle. So let's just take a moment and discuss, make certain that we appreciate the value of the setting and the situation that we find Jesus in. First of all was the location of this miracle. And we're told, uh, according to John's writing, that this miracle took place in a small village named Cana. It was of Galilee. It was just outside of the city, the busy city of Nazareth. And so it was very accessible for Jesus. Um, by the way, if any of you have ever traveled to Israel, they have now rediscovered where they believe that Cana was located in, uh, in a very typical, you can go and, and celebrate a similar uh, wedding-type feast and remember, in fact, I think, Carrie, we renewed our vows there, didn't we? How you like that, huh? So uh, an appropriate place to renew your wedding vows, wouldn't you agree? In Cana of Galilee. Now, what was the occasion? The occasion was a wedding feast. But it's important maybe just to make a clear uh, explanation that the way that weddings and, and celebration of weddings were done in the day of Jesus isn't the same as today, all right? So today you're lucky if you get an hour or two of partying uh, uh, celebration and a uh, reception following the wedding and uh, depending upon the situation uh, there may be food served there may be there may be some celebration sometimes there's dancing and do all kinds of things but this is a little bit different because these weddings according to Jewish custom were a week long can you imagine a week long partying eating feasting from the wedding after a wedding and uh, some of you're like I don't think I could handle that I, I'm, I, know, I know I couldn't if it was my daughter that's for sure but but nonetheless this is this is how weddings were celebrated at this particular time and so what's going on in this situation is that the wedding feast was was three days in so they're just all at the midpoint almost at the midpoint of this wedding celebration and feasting as you can see it was a joyous time and the jews loved this kind of celebration this was a real weddings were a really really big deal and the celebration the feast that followed was also a big deal might be helpful to remember who the guests were. We don't really know who all the guests were. We do know biblically that there were a few that are very important notice, in addition to the bride and the bridegroom and, and their families. In addition to that, Mary had been invited, the mother of Jesus. In addition to Mary, Jesus had been invited. And the scripture also tells us that by this particular point, Jesus had begun to, if you go back and you track, he had begun to call his disciples. You probably remember from your knowledge of the Gospels that Jesus didn't call all 12 at one time. All 12 of you come follow me. There were different moments where he would go up to certain of individuals. He called them to be his disciples, much like we saw him do with Peter in uh, the first week uh, of, of this series. And so by this particular point, he had five disciples with him. Brand new, just remember, brand new disciples. And so they're with him and they went with him to this wedding feast. So that's the occasion. 
However, there was a problem. The problem that set up the opportunity. How many of you know sometimes we need to change the way we think about problems? We get, we get real negative about problems. Without problems, there are no miracles. Without problems, you never see breakthrough. Without problems in our lives, we wouldn't have a testimony. Someone told me many years ago, there's no testimony without a test. You can't write testimony without the word test in it. And so there was a test, a test that presented itself for the, for the, uh, the couple that's getting married, their families that are, that are putting on this big party because what happened? The wine ran dry. Somehow the planning had gone awry. And they didn't plan on as many guests as had come. And maybe, maybe Jesus and his five new disciples were part of the problem. I don't know. But anyway, for whatever the cause, they ran out of wine. And so I think you could agree with me that that would be an embarrassing situation. How many of you have ever been to um, some kind of a party or some kind of a banquet or something, and, you're, and you're, in a, you're in the line to pick up food, and you realize there's no way you look at the rest of the line and you see all the people still waiting to be served and you go there ain't no way this isn't gonna work they're gonna run out and so it immediately you begin to portion the amount that you're taking right you might be hungry enough to take this much but you look at the line and you say, oh, let's take this much this is kind of the situation that it must have been in cana when the people and particularly the servants were realizing we're out of wine because the word had leaked out probably uh, most historians think that those that were getting married were either very close friends or possibly even kin to Mary and Joseph. And so how did Mary become in the know about the problem? She must have been told by the family. And so then we know that Mary goes to Jesus and tells him, Jesus, they're, in, they're out of here. We've got a big problem. And of course we know the rest of it so the significance of this particular miracle although we're looking tonight the lessons we're going to draw have to do with jesus demonstrating for us the unquestionable power that he had to transform something and of course the application is to our lives today he still has the power to transform amen and the power to transform things in our lives. I just want to point out, as, as it was very obvious in the text as well as the, the video, this was the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed. That there's, a, there's a kind of a rule that we have we, in, in, in reading and interpreting Scripture in what, what's called hermeneutics, which is the way we interpret Scripture. And it, it's a rule that says when something is mentioned for the first time in Scripture, it carries a particular level of importance and significance. Now, wouldn't you think that if that is the case and this is the first miracle that Jesus performed, John's very specific to point that out, isn't he? There's no arguing about that. Don't you think that maybe there's something there that we particularly can learn and glean? I hope that you agree with me. And so we're going to look at what I simply call the big idea for tonight, which is simply the fact that Jesus Christ has the power to transform. And more particularly today, has the power to transform our lives. So what I want to do is take this story, and, and, and I think that we would agree that the wine is uh, analogous to many other things. It's not just, we don't walk away from here saying, okay, what do we learn tonight? Just, we learn that Jesus has the power to 
turn water into wine okay yeah but what does it mean for you and for me it means a lot more than just that and so we see that that the wine can represent a number of things and we'll talk about that tonight it represents joy in scripture the the, the result of imbibing wine uh, represents the joy that we find in our that god wants us to have in our life um so we're going to look at some of the significance of this. We're going to relate it and, and kind of make it more applicable to our lives today. So let me share with you seven lessons tonight taken from John chapter 2 on Jesus' power to transform. If you want to make note of these, you're sure welcome to. Number one, the first lesson is that Jesus transforms our everyday experiences. Number one, Jesus transforms our everyday experiences. I think one of the things that is very clear about this passage and that, that makes it very real to you and me is that this is a practical problem. This is, this is um, <laughs> what some people would say, well, what's the big deal? They're going to run out of wine. You know, it, I mean, it's, it's not like someone's dying. So you might say, why, why would Jesus choose this occasion to do his first miracle? Wouldn't you think you'd begin to ask those kinds of questions? May I suggest to you that one of the reasons is he wants us to understand that he's about our everyday lives. He's about the little stuff, the things that, that are important to it. Whatever's important to us is important to him. And guess what? This wedding feast was important to quite a number of people who were here. Not only was he concerned about the guests, he was concerned about the embarrassment or the potential indictment and embarrassment. This might be on the family or on the groom or on the bride. And so Jesus is interested in our practical, normal, natural lives. I think many Christians today make the mistake of trying to make everything about our Christian lives super spiritual. And I'm all about God being powerful in the spiritual realm. I'm all about God uh, showing himself mighty to, to save us and to deliver us and these very big spiritual issues that confront us. But I'm also here to tell you that he's interested in the little things. And he's interested in the natural stuff. He's interested in us having enough food, not just enough where we die or live, but he's enough and he's interested in making our parties complete. Y'all can say amen to that. It's all right. Don't be afraid. Some of y'all are so religious you can't even agree with that. He's interested in making our celebration more enjoyable. He's not out of touch. He was very, think just the very fact that he's attending this wedding feast. He's hanging out. He's just enjoying it. He's just one of the guests that came along. He wasn't invited to come do a miracle. He didn't show up because of some, well, you know, you're the, you're the religious guy, so we want you to come along. You know, we might need a miracle. Oh, no, no, he was just there just to have fun, just to celebrate, just to enjoy in the wedding of this couple. I like the fact that he transforms day-to-day -day experiences. You see, Jesus comes not just to give us new information. He comes to give us transformation. It's not that living for God. And when Jesus comes into situations, he's not just about teaching principles or teaching new information. He's about changing stuff. And it's important that we remember that. He comes not just to give new ideas. He comes to make new people. Amen? And he takes ordinary stuff. This may be the greatest thing in this story. He takes something so ordinary 
and makes it extraordinary. He takes something natural and he made it supernatural. Think, is there anything more normal and natural than water? H2O he takes. Just fill it up with water. It may have been far more impressive to, to ask that you know, something extra special be done with the water. Maybe it's not even water. Maybe it's something else. Or let's go. But he just took the water that was on hand. Sometimes we need to offer Christ in our lives. We need to give, need to give him more of our practical, daily, natural issues of life. We need to give him the bills that we can't pay. Amen? We need to give him more of our time, how we spend our time. We need to give to him our need for recreation and leisure and how we're going to have fun. Don't you think he's interested in that? I guarantee you he's interested in that. And this story proves it. Jesus transforms, would like to transform our everyday experiences. Number two, the second lesson from John chapter 2, these first 11 verses, is that Jesus transforms the religious and he made it real and life-giving. A little explanation would help here. And actually, they did a really good job in this particular video version of, of showing us the story. Did you notice the jars that, that, that they were using, the vessels they were using to pour the wine at the beginning of the story? They're just typical, you know, fancy, you know, uh, pitchers to pour wine out of. But when it came to Jesus doing the miracle, he looked and he saw six jars, it said. These jars that he found were, and, and, and in the video you saw how large they were, these were these large stone containers that each held about 20 to 30 gallons of water. You say, well, what were they for? These jars that he found were jars that would be filled with water for one purpose, religious ceremonial washing. These had a religious purpose. They were not a part of the wedding feast, had nothing to do with it. They had a religious intent, a religious purpose and significance. The Jewish law said before certain things could happen, you had to go through this ceremonial washing and purification. Isn't, do you think it's an accident that Jesus would take these, these specific jars and use them for something supernatural? By the way, and I'm not one that really goes crazy with numerology. You know, some people really go crazy. You know, every number that you see or you hear, ooh, that means this. I, I have friends like that. I'm like, could you just give me a break from the number business for a little bit? But anyway, every number means something. And, you know, if that's your deal, that's fine. God bless you. But... I think it is important. There are certain numbers that we, I think we can have good, good balance to say it's meaningful. One of those numbers is the number seven, right? It's the number four, completion or perfection. It's a com something complete. Do you know what, I hear these students back here are speaking up answers. They're so sharp. Who knows what the number six represents? Thank you, Jezro. Man. Six is the number of man. Human, humanity. Isn't it interesting that there were six jars? Maybe, just maybe, that suggests to us, along with the purpose that those jars normally had, maybe it speaks again of how Jesus transforms something, something natural into something supernatural. He takes something that was purely about religion, and pretty dead religion, 
at that. And he was saying, I'm here to do something radically new. I'm here to do something real, something that really can make a difference. I know I'm going to take these jars that everybody at this feast, when they see these jars, immediately thinks what? Religion, cleansing, purification, ceremony, formality. I'm going to take these and do something special through these. Do you know what I think this says to you and to me? God's interested through in our lives, he's interested in taking in many times what people uh, look at as, as dry, dead, formal, religion, and he's interested in taking it and saying, that's not the answer. Let me transform that. I want to show you what relationship is all about. I want to show you something genuine. I want to show you something real, something that will make a difference in your life today. Listen, religion is simply man's attempt to reach out to God, but Christianity is God's ability to redeem man and create a relationship with us and so to me this is this is a wonderful story that shows us that uh, and it also depicts the difference between old testament ceremony and new testament life through jesus christ amen the end of one and the beginning of the other so <clears throat> jesus transforms the religious and he makes it real and life-giving let's look at the third lesson we glean from this particular lesson of this story that jesus transforms when we recognize our need he transforms i don't know about you but i want more of the transform tra transformative power of god in my life how about you but i did notice in this story he only did the transforming miracle when the need for it was recognized I don't know, I, I'm kind of simple about this stuff. I recognize the fact that he didn't do the miracle until they ran out. He said, well, you know, why didn't he do it at the beginning of the feast? Why didn't he do it the first day? He could have seen, he would have known that they wasn't going to have enough wine because that's not God's way generally. How many of you ever noticed that God waits to transform and do stuff until we have a need? Any of y'all realize that? All of a sudden we come to a point of need as if to allow us to depend on him, to allow us to come to a point of saying, I don't have the answer for that. I, I, we don't have enough supplies. God, you've got to come through for us. We're out of bread. You've got to do something. God provides manna. God, we're out of water, and the water comes out of the rock. God, we're, we don't have enough wine. And, and, and he turns water into wine. He's all about transforming stuff and meeting needs, but he wants us to come to the point where we recognize our need. We have to run out of ourselves, coming in of ourselves and our own answers, our own solutions, our own money, our own stuff, our own power, our own strength, our own whatever it may be. And only then do we really, really find the transformative power of God in action. Yeah, after three days of this feast, the wine ran out. What an indictment that would have been on the family if they would have had to announce Sorry, folks, no more wine. What? Four more days of partying left? This isn't going to be much of a party. The wine's gone. That would have been an indictment against that family. Didn't I tell you earlier that wine represented joy? And, of course, we know that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is new wine, right? New wine. And one of the things he brings is joy. Amen? Um, I, I, I kind of see this as potentially a message to us that uh, whenever there's, when we run out of joy, Jesus is interested in transforming something. And you know what? There's a lot of Christians that don't have much joy. You don't run into people like that. They don't have a lot of joy. <clears throat> it's all about um, 
woe is me, always down in the dumps. And, and, and God understands our pain, but he's wanting us to experience the irrepressible joy that comes from Christ inside of us. Nehemiah 8.10 says what? 8.10 says what? That the joy of the Lord is my strength. Exactly. We have to come to a point of realizing that we have a need. The church needs more wine today. The church needs more joy today. Sometimes we just need to realize we're empty. We're out. The fourth lesson that we glean from this story is that Jesus transforms when we recognize and identify the right source. Remember the story? Somehow, Mary, the mother of Jesus, heard of the plight. She heard about the problem. And she went where? She went to her son, Jesus. She knew. She knew what he was called to do. Do you think it's accidental that she would go to her son, Jesus, for this miracle? She sees a crisis, she's a problem. Now remember, his public ministry had only just kicked off. Just recently, he'd only just come out of the River Jordan, just been baptized with the Spirit, just be, went through the wilderness experience, just started calling his initial group. And he hadn't even called all of his disciples yet. He's just called five of them. And now Mary is saying, Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a need here. Because she knew he came to the world to meet human need. She knew that there was that messianic purpose on his life. And she went to him to help address the problem. My application is simply this. If we really want Jesus to transform stuff in our life, we've got to go to the right source. And Jesus is the right source. How many times when we have a crisis, we run somewhere other than God? You know what I'm talking about? We go to our friends. We say, can you help me, please? I don't need any I, Nothing wrong with friends. We need friends. We need relationships. We need support from other people. But ultimately, we know that Jesus is our source. Amen? When, when we have a, a financial crisis, as we we're talking about this upcoming seminar, many times we run to all kinds of advisors. We go to our accountant and our CPA. And we go to the banker long before we'll go to God. And he's the one that meets all of our needs, financial included. Amen? Sometimes even when we're sick, we're so blessed with medical science that is available today, and we're so quick to take a medication or to run to the doctor for a diagnosis when there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I encourage you, let's remember that God is the ultimate source of health and healing, and we need to make a practice of recognizing the right source. And the more that we do that, I think the more miracles we're going to see. We have to identify the source. In Revelation 1.8, it says that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? He is the source for everything that we need in our life, whether it be physical strength, whether it be, whether it be something to eat or something to drink or money to pay our bills or whatever it may be. Listen, He is the source. Let's remember that. The fifth lesson I've gleaned from this story is that Jesus transforms when we learn to obey. You say, what does this story have to do with obedience? Do you remember what Jesus, uh, what Mary said to the servants? And by the way, Jesus made no promises to her at all. She simply made him aware of the need and she walked away. Jesus, in some ways, kind of rebuffed her, didn't he? He said, 
<coughs> Mom, it's not yet my time. He brought up the issue. He, he didn't want to make a big spectacle yet because he was sensitive to the Father's timing. And yet the Spirit of God moved him. Yeah, Mary must have, she's a little bit more clued in than maybe even we realize, huh? And she walks away and she simply said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Oh, you know, we could just preach on that for a while, couldn't we? Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. We don't need to, we don't need to do a whole lot of fancy stuff, just whatever he tells us to do, let's just do it. There's a lesson here of obedience. The servants were very attentive and ready to act on his command. What do we do? We have a crisis. This is going to look bad for us. It's going to look bad for our company. Oh, no, we ran out of wine. What do we do? What do we do? And he simply said, what? See those jars over there? Go fill them with water. Sure. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. We'll do it. We filled them up. And they didn't just fill them up. They filled them to the brim just to make sure they were in full obedience. You know what? No matter what it is in your life, obedience is always the best way to go. It pays great dividends just to obey what he tells us to do. We need to read God's word looking for direction, looking for commands to obey. The Bible says this, we love God, we will obey his commandments. Not in a legalistic way, not, not in a way that dries out our spiritual life, but with the joy of being ready and willing to act on his direction. And he says, go, we go. He says, sit, we sit. If he says speak, we speak. If he says give that money, we give that money. Whatever it is he tells us to do, we need to have hearts and minds ready to obey. Amen? And we will reap great benefits. Number six. The sixth lesson that Jesus always transforms what I just call the little something extra. When Jesus transforms things, people, situations, there's always the extra involved. Why? Because he just, he's, he's the, the ultimate transformer. We notice two things about this story. First of all, when he transformed, he didn't just turn water into wine. I think we all recognize that there's cheap wine and there's expensive wine. You don't have to be a wine drinker to know that. Just walk through the stores of the local grocery store and look at the wine prices, and you'll find everything from low dollar to high dollar. And it all has to do, generally speaking, has to do with what? Quality, age. My point is what? When they tasted the wine, what did they say? This is the, this is the best. Normally, everybody puts the best up front, and then they leave what the, the you know the, the the cheap stuff for the end of the party. But Jesus, you look look what this they have given us the best now. Wow. God never does anything unless it's His best. When Jesus transforms, He transforms with a signature of extraordinary. Extraordinary is the mark on everything that he touches and transforms. Remember that. 
when he touched your life for the first time, he did something extraordinary to, to turn you into the new creature that you are. When he transforms, it's extraordinary. But not only extraordinary, it's also the other little extra is it's extravagant. Six, have you stopped to think about how much wine he how much wine was created? Six jars. Let's use the 30-gallon per jar number. And because I'm so lightning quick with math, to me that comes out to 180 gallons. Am I right? Hmm? 108. I don't know how many people were at this party, at this wedding feast, but Cana was a small little village. There's no big houses in Cana. But they had plenty of, they had a lot of wine flowing, Tony. I'm telling lots of joy going on in that party, right? I'm telling you, 180 gallons of the best wine anyone could find. My point is what? He does everything extravagantly. He does it with abundance. I've noted to you before, this is a, this is a characteristic of God. We see it in the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. We see it everything about Jesus. He does it extravagantly. And how many of you think we ought to offer back extravagant worship and thanksgiving to him? Amen? We ought to give extravagantly the same way that he does. So when Jesus transforms, expect a little extra, extraordinary, and extravagant. Wow. Last lesson. Jesus transforms completely. When he transforms, what does transform mean? It means to change one thing from one state to another, right? From one condition to another. To, to move something from here to there. Transformation is total change. He transforms things completely. In our story, he didn't transform water from three jars and to wine and left three jars water. He, he didn't do a halfway job he took all the jars and he filled them all with wine supernaturally when he transforms he does it completely when he called Lazarus out of the tomb he didn't draw him out of the tomb uh, half dead half alive did he he was completely alive and made whole so I'm simply trying to show you that, that his transformation has a completeness about it that he wants to do. And we need to stretch our faith to believe for complete transformation. He wants to turn frowns into smiles. I think even at this feast, he, there were people who would have been frowning if they wouldn't run out of wine. He turns frowns into smiles. He turns anxiety into relief. He transforms whimpers of fear into songs of praise. He turns sorrow into joy, legalism into grace, and death to life. When Jesus transforms, he does it radically and completely. When he transforms us from old to new, we're not old anymore. Oh, thank God. His transformation is complete in our lives. And I've got news for you as I wrap up tonight. He's not done transforming you. He's not done transforming me. I guarantee it. He's still working it out. Transformation is frequently, most of the time when it comes to the God way of working in our lives, it's progressive, isn't it? Hmm? 
This wine miracle was instantaneous. But not all of his transformative miracles are instantaneous. Be grave they were. But most of them are progressive. So which means we've just got to keep going to the source. We've got to keep recognizing our need. We've got to keep believing that the same Jesus that turned water into wine is here today. The same spirit that anointed Jesus who turned water into wine is the same spirit that's in you today. That's the same Holy Spirit. And there is no need, no situation that we can confront today where the, the, the transformative power of Jesus is needed, whether it's to transform your, your business or whether it's your schoolwork or whether it's your, uh, maybe it's your future, whatever it may be. Can we just trust God to do more transformation than ever before? Amen. Let this miracle build our faith for him as a transforming. Amen. I hope, I know, almost all of us, I'm certain, could stand and testify of some experience in our life where God transformed us. Even if it was simply transforming us from our old life and giving us a new life. Would you stand to your feet tonight? Praise God. Praise God. I want to pray for you tonight. We're going to just ask the Lord to Help increase our faith for transformation. Next weekend, we're going to study Jesus forgiving the woman caught in adultery. The power to forgive. It'll be a powerful, powerful time of studying together. Can I pray with you right now? Would you mind taking a moment and just identifying an area of life that might need transformation for you? And you know what? Don't shy away from it being something super practical. Lord, I need my car to work better. Lord, I need you to help transform my kids. They're just out of control. Help me to know how to parent better. Lord, my job is just, it's just, craziness you got to help transform my job place what is it that tonight you could ask jesus to transform if you can't think anything that in your own life doesn't again like i've said it doesn't need to be spiritual just be very very practical very very daily think of someone else that you know that might have that need let's pray together Jesus, we thank you for giving us the time to just focus on this great miracle. We choose to believe you for that transforming power to be more evident in our lives than we've ever seen before, not just for us, but even through us for others. Lord, there are many of us here tonight that have identified right now a need that we have that requires transforming power. Jesus, I'm thankful that there's not one of those that you don't care about. <laughs> there's not one. We're thankful that your timing is perfect and you even allow us to come to a point of real need before you do these miracles. So tonight we come to you and say, well, Lord, we acknowledge the need 
And we're coming to you as the source. We're coming to you as the source. You are the transforming God. You are the greater one. You are the only one that we, we, we've run out of options, Lord. And Lord, we, even, if we, even if they're more natural options, we just choose to say, that's it. No, no more of that. We're just going to turn to you right now. We're going to give it over to you. Lord, fix this problem we've got. Transform us. Change us and change the circumstance. Change the issues. Whatever it may be, we invite, we ask you to release transformation. Transform our thinking. Transform our believing. Transform us, our marriage, our family. Lord, I ask right now for you to extend your loving hand for each and every one of us that are here tonight. How many of you tonight identified something that you just agreed with that prayer regarding? How many of you just, just lift your hands? I, I know I, I did. Yes, I had something on my mind. Amen. Put your hands down. Lord, we just want to say thank you. We appreciate your love. We appreciate your goodness. Thank you for the truth and the power and the relevance of your word for us tonight. We say that we'll walk it out. We'll walk it out because we're doers of the word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.